This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. This whole series really has been amazing to see how um, testimony after testimony has shown us how God doesn't leave us lost. He does seek us out and he finds us. And I have the privilege this morning to to share um, what God has shown me through my study of looking at this parable of the lost sheep. And uh, it's actually seen in two different areas of the Bible. I'm going to take a look at both of them this morning, if you don't mind, if you can bear with me. I'm going to start by looking at Luke 15, and this is where uh, Jesus is sharing the parable in Luke 15, verse 1 to 7. If you want to follow along with me, I'm going to jump right in. Um, It says, Then the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you... Having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And then Jesus goes on to say, I say to you that likewise... There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And the first thing that really caught my attention about this beautiful story is this sheep-shepherd relationship that we see here. And, and uh, if, if we look into that, we can see that John 10:11 tells us that Jesus is our good shepherd. And Ezekiel 34:31 says, "You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture." And I am your God, declares the Sovereign Lord. So we can see here, even in just those two verses, that God is our good shepherd. And we get to be his sheep under his care and under his protection. And when we think of it that way, when we read through this parable, there's some amazing truths that just came to my attention, um, seeing this relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. And to start out, we see how something that would have been pretty common, but, but not so great, is that we have a sheep that's wandered off. And it made me wonder, how on earth does a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, I mean, I'm not that good with sheep, they kind of all look the same to me, so I don't know how they notice that one is missing. Yet, this shows something so beautiful about how God sees us. He notices us. God notices us right where we're at. He sees you. He doesn't miss a thing. And you know, he has more than 100 sheep. I, I don't know what the latest number is, but he's got more than 100, I'll tell you that. And he knows our location at all times, both physically and spiritually. He says in Psalm 139, verse 1 to 3, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. And this was written by King David, who was actually a shepherd himself, so he would know very much that shepherd heart of God, knowing that he notices every little thing. And how wonderful is that, that we have a God that will notice us. And, and even, you know, modern-day shepherds have this uh, habit that every time they bring their sheep together and every time they bring them back into the fold for night, they'll count them all and make sure that they're all there. But what I found, looking more into this, is 
as a shepherd takes on a flock full time, and it's their sheep all the time. They get to know them so well that they just kind of, they don't really forget, but they don't need to do the counting anymore. And it's not out of lack of care, but it's actually out of lack of necessity. So they actually say that when they bring all of their sheep together, the absence of any one sheep is simply felt. And he just knows that there is one missing. And, and I mean, if, if a human shepherd can have that kind of inkling to his sheep, how much more is God so in tune and so aware with each and every one of his sheep, knowing exactly where you are at all times? You know, he notices maybe those little acts of kindness that no one else has noticed that you've done. He notices when you went that extra mile that maybe no one thanked you for. And he notices when, when maybe you're struggling with something that you can't quite bring yourself to share with someone. And he notices when maybe life has brought you distanced from the good shepherd himself. He knows exactly where you are this morning. He doesn't miss a thing. And the great thing is our good shepherd doesn't stop at just noticing us. But we can see right here in this parable that the shepherd who notices the lost sheep takes another step and he pursues that sheep. And God, our good shepherd, takes that step to pursue us. And it's that relentless, reckless love pursuit that we sang about. Um, that was just perfect timing for that song this morning. There's, I mean, that pers- perfectly sums up most of my message. It's so good. Like I said, the Holy Spirit is just awesome. Um, Ezekiel 34:11 says, For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search and find my sheep. He makes it personal. No, he doesn't just send out an angel on a search and rescue mission. He doesn't send some minion to do it. He's like, no, no, you are so important to me. I love you so much that I have to do it myself. I want that relationship. I want to pursue you myself. You're that important to God. So he's not satisfied with just his 99 sheep. He sees that one that's missing, and he goes after it. So he's not satisfied with with. 99, he wants every single one of us. And you know what? I'd encourage you, look around in your life. It's not just you. God is pursuing you, but he's also pursuing your spouse. He's pursuing your children. He's pursuing your co-work. He's, he's pursuing those that are around you in your life that he's calling you out to pursue as well. No one is unnecessary. He needs all of us to be fully functioning in the full capacity of the call that he has on our life because it's so important to him. He knows that once he has all of his sheep together, then he can bring that full picture of his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And how beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? You know, he doesn't stop there. But, uh, you know, God's, God's pursuit of us doesn't stop at just finding us because being born again wasn't his ultimate target. God actually pursues us even further And it's not just those who don't know him as Lord and Savior, but he's pursuing us not just for redemption, but for relationship. He goes one step further, and he keeps on coming after us so that he can bring us back to that flock so that we can be under his protection and his provision. So what's that flock for us today? I believe that's our church community. We cannot be functioning in our full capacity. We cannot pursue all that God has on our lives if we don't also come into that flock 
come into this church community where we can be surrounded by like-minded Christians. We can build each other up. We have this awesome thing called a church family where we can look around at the other fellow sheep and say, this is what I've heard my good shepherd saying to me. Did you hear that? And together we can learn his voice because we can share what we're learning from him and we can build one another up and say, let's keep going. No, 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 you don't want to go over there. You want to stay here because this is what God has for you. So this parable is so much more than just pursuing the lost. God is still pursuing each and every one of us because he wants us to not just be a mouthpiece that speaks the gospel to the unsaved, but he also is calling us to speak purpose into our fellow believers. Because there's, sometimes it's not just about being lost and not having salvation. It's also having lost that purpose that God wants for us. And he wants us so badly to come back to that. You know, he pursues us relentlessly, recklessly. He leaves those 99, and that shows us how much he truly values us. You know, he values you just as much as your neighbor each and every one of us, so much. I mean, we see that he wasn't happy with 99 out of 100, whereas, I mean, I, I don't think I actually was this good in school, but I'd be happy with a 99% on my test. I don't know about you guys. I'm so glad that God does not work in percentages. You know, he, he's not happy with 99%. That's amazing. But he actually goes one step further, and he's, he's not like any modern businessman who is just going to kind of take his losses and move on. You know, he loves you enough that he's not going to leave anyone behind. He values each and every one of us so much that I believe a portion of this story actually reflects what he showed us on the cross. You know, if, if value is based on what someone is willing to pay for something, then we can know that we are so valued by God. He gave his one and only son, his only blood son. We get to call ourselves sons and daughters in adoption to God. But his only blood son that was born is Jesus. And he chose to allow that most precious thing go to the cross. And while Jesus was on the cross, he actually cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned away from me? And in the same way, when that good shepherd leaves the 99 to pursue us, God had to turn away from his own son to say, I'm doing this for you to pursue you because I value you that much. Because I want to bring you back into that fold. So no matter where you are this morning, whether you still find yourself in that lost and wandering state, there's nowhere that you can't wander that God can't find you. Just like we sang, there's, there's nothing, there's no mountain he can't climb up. There's no shadow he can't light up. Coming after us, he's coming after us in this amazing pursuit because he values what he sees on your life. You know, he's placed something special in each and every one of us. There's a special purpose and plan that he has on your life that is not on the life of the person sitting beside you. There is something so special about you. You know, sometimes we can look around and be like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not like this person. I'm not like that person. I don't, I don't function the way they do. I can't do what they do. But God didn't call you to be them. And the wonderful thing is when he looks at you, he doesn't see that. He doesn't see, oh, well, you're not Pastor Sandra. 
<laughs> you're not Pastor Cameron. You're not Pastor Ray. Well, no, he doesn't want you to be at all. He wants you to be you. And so he sees that, and he, he's calling out that purpose. And some of us may be familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11, but it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So when he looks at you, he's not looking at that wandered state. He's not looking at your shortcomings. He knows they're there. But you know what? He's willing to overlook that because he sees, says, I see the potential in you. I see the purpose that I've placed in you. And I have to come and pursue you. I have to find you because I know how important it is. I can't have one piece missing. You are that important piece. And without it, I mean, have you ever gotten to the end of a puzzle and the most frustrating thing is when you've lost one piece? <laughs> You're almost done. And there is that one piece. And God doesn't want that. You know, he pursues, he loves, he values each and every one of us because he needs all of us to create that full picture of what he wants to do here on earth. You know, it's not just about bringing us back to the flock, but he continues to value the more and the more that we have on our life. You know, he's never done. He says in Philippians 1 verse 6, God who began the good work within you will continue to work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So unless I've missed something, I don't believe that Christ Jesus has returned in person just yet. That means that he's not done yet, right? That means that if you still have breath in your body, if you are still alive, that is a sign from God that he's not done with you. You still have so much potential in you. It doesn't matter what your age is. God has something awesome on your life, and he values it so much. And he wants to call that out. So he doesn't just, he doesn't just notice us. He doesn't just pursue us, and he doesn't just value us. He gives us that call. And he calls us to model after him. He's already shown us what to do. So just like he notices us, he's calling us to notice him. But even more specifically, he wants us to notice our need for him. You know, I, I know I need him. I am not someone who was ever into public speaking. So, I mean, even this morning, this was my prayer. I'm like, God, I need you, right? <laughs> I am very aware of this point. Um, I need God. So... <laughs> So, but he, he wants to bring us to that point. You know, I find that he's always kind of pushing us, and, and he, pu he puts that plan and purpose on our lives just far enough out of our reach that he's like, you can't do it without me, right? <laughs> yeah. So he, he wants us to notice our need for him. And, you know, something, as I, as I dug a little bit deeper into the context and, and the meaning of this parable in Luke 15, um, I brought my attention to verse 7. It says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And so I love those first three points. They're awesome. They're true. God is so good. But he also, who knows, that relationship goes both ways, right? It's a two-way street. So there's some things that he also asks of us in that relationship. And here he's talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were religious people of that day, and they were actually kind of getting upset with Jesus, saying, well, why are you hanging out with them and not us, right? And uh, can you sense a little bit of jealousy there? <laughs> but he's actually saying in this parable, he's, he's trying to correct the Pharisees in his own loving way. And, uh, and you can almost hear 
in my mind, I hear him almost saying it sarcastically when he calls them these just people who need no repentance, right? Because, I mean, if we're all being honest, we all need repentance. We all do. I mean, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I can't stand up here and say I'm perfect. I'm not. I mean, I'd say ask Scott, but he's not here today, so <laughs> I get away with that. <laughs> right? So, so God was saying here, that I want to come and I want to pursue those who realize that they need me, that they want to have that relationship with me. But, you know, I'm, I'm not here to, to try and chase after someone who's like, mm, no, I'm good. I don't need you. I'm going to do this on my own, right? And, and they, they didn't realize their need for God. It says in, in Luke 19.10 that he had come to seek and save that which was lost. So this was Jesus' whole purpose, yet the Pharisees were standing there not even realizing that they were among those lost that he had come to seek. They were lost in their own religion. And it's such a sad place to be because they, they thought they had it all together. They had all these outward good actions. They looked great on the outside, but they were trying to do it in their own strength, right? And, and just like I said, God calls us to do stuff that we can't do in our own strength. We always need him. He speaks in verse 4 of that good shepherd that leaves the 99 in the wilderness and goes after the one which is lost until he finds it. So if we look at this, it's so important to understand this in context because you can think of it almost like, like I said, that the flock is the church that he wants to bring us back to. But in no way, if we look at this in context, he's in no way saying that I'm neglecting the flock. That's not God's heart at all. He never wants to neglect anyone. Just like we said, God's pursuing us, right? His heart is for us. Yet, because the Pharisees didn't notice their need for God, he was saying, I'm going this way. But if you're not going to come with, then that means that you're going to end up being stuck in this, this wilderness, and you're not going to come with me. And that's not his heart for us at all. And that's why it's so important, and his heart is for us to notice our need for him so that we would be able to step in to what he has for us and not be like, like those sheep that were left out on the hill, right? He doesn't want us to be there, and that's, that's why he rejoices over repentance and not religion. That's his heart for us. You know, this, this word repentance is kind of like a Christianese term, if you think of it. Like, there's, there's, there's so much more to it than just a quick, oops, sorry, um, if you've seen two kids that are fighting and you try and get them to say sorry to one another, have you ever seen that kid being like, yeah, sorry? And you're like, mm, didn't really mean it, but okay, right? That's not what he's talking about when it comes to repentance. Um, but God, God actually says that it's possible for us to even feel bad about something, but it doesn't necessarily lead us to that place of repentance. He says that there's two different kinds, and so he's calling us to, to the right kind, um, and 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10 says, For the kind of sorrow God wants for us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. And there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So you can see here that it's actually, it's actually possible for us to feel bad about something, but he's calling us one step further. He's saying, I, I love that you're noticing but let's take that one step further into repentance and, and say, you know what? I'm going to make this godly sorrow, which is then leading me to say, I don't want to be that person anymore. I want what God wants on my life. That's what he wants for us, 
to walk away from those things. That's why that, that heart that he has for us for our repentance is not, is not in any way a, a harsh rule, but it's inviting us to be a part of what he wants for our lives, to say no to what he says no to and say yes to what he says yes to. He wants us to have that conviction in our life that leads us back to him. And it says right there that there's no regret in that kind of sorrow. So that means that he's going to take away all of that. We don't need to stay feeling that way when we take that step into repentance and we come humbly before him and just notice the fact, you know, I'm lost right now. Can, can you come seek me out? I realize that's where I'm at. You know, to bring it back to the parable, John 10 says that Jesus is the gate for his sheep. Jesus is the gate for his sheep. And what he's saying, he's talking about this idea of a, a fold. It was like a pen for, for him to keep all of the, the shepherd to keep all the sheep in. And there's only one way in. There's only one gate. And so Jesus is saying the only way in to have the, the protection and provision that I want for you as my sheep and, and to allow me to be your good shepherd is to come through Jesus, through repentance and through the cross. And he was making this point to the Pharisees, but the Pharisees, again, were so blind that they didn't believe that he was who he said he is. So Jesus was basically saying to them, look, guys, you're, you're not getting it, but they do. So how can I spend what little time I have here on earth trying to, you know, hammer something into your heads when, when the cries of the lost are echoing in my ear? I got to find them. I got to pursue them. I got to go after them. Right? That's his heart. Because he doesn't want any of us to stay lost. But he wants us to turn to him and to pursue him. You know, just as he pursues us, he's calling us to do that for him as well. And really, this is such the joy of our Christian walk. I mean, I, I think of it almost, if you've ever seen girls, those cheesy movies where you're, you know, they're in the meadow and these two people are running towards one another, right? <laughs> but the great thing about God is that you just keep running and running until you get to heaven and then you finally meet, right? <laughs> you got to run the race. Um, but, but uh, you know, the great thing about God is that you'll never fully comprehend him. You can pursue him your whole life and he's so big and he's so great and so beyond what our mind can get that that you'll never entirely get it. And, and in fact, I've actually heard it said that if you worship a God that you completely comprehend, then you're actually worshiping yourself because you've now put God in a box confined by your own understanding. And I thought, wow. So <laughs> it says if, if you worship a God that, is complete, that you completely comprehend, then you actually end up worshiping yourself because you've now put God in a box confined by your own understanding. And you limit God, right? But when we pursue him, more and more and more gets revealed to us. There's no end to it. You can, you know, you can be saved when you're two and pursue him until you're 120, and you're still going to be like, I don't get it. <laughs> right? He's, he's that big. But he purposefully does that in order to main, for many reasons, but one of them is in order to maintain this relationship of mutual pursuit. Because he already, he already knows us, but he wants us to keep coming after him. He wants that relationship so badly. You know, that's why we're made. Actually, you know, I heard it said that, you know, God has no needs. 
he's God. He, he really doesn't have any needs. But if God is love, then the only need he would have is something to love. So we get to be the affection of his love. So that's why he wants this pursuit. He's like, I love you so much, but would you love me? Would you choose to pursue me as well? Because it would make him feel really great, you know? It's not so nice to always love on someone else. It's nice to get it back, too. It's that two-way street. John 10, verse 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So he's saying that when we pursue him, we start listening to his voice. We say, God, what are you saying? And we start following where he's leading. Because when we hear his voice, he's going to say, all right, we're going this way. We keep our eyes on him, right? And we give him our yes, no matter what we're saying yes to, because we know who, who we're saying yes to, right? We can always say yes to him, even when we're like, mm, I don't know what's around that corner. But he's like, trust me, it's going to be great. You know, I've actually, uh, again, as I was studying sheep and shepherds, I learned uh, that sheep get so attached to their own shepherd and they know his voice so well that if that shepherd tries to walk away, they'll all freak out and go after him. It's like you have a hundred sheep with separation anxiety. It's, whoa. I mean, how do you, how does that guy ever get a date? I don't know. He's got a hundred third wheels behind him. Sounds like the most awkward thing. But, but apparently that's what sheep are like in real life. So, so they know, these sheep know, okay, I got to be with that guy no matter where he goes because that's where my, my provision is and, and that's where my protection is. So if he's going to go over here, then I'm going to go over there, right? And I don't want to miss out on that. But then if you think of that in, in our parable, we have these 99 sheep. How did they get left behind? Right? If, you're, if our eyes are on God, if we're pursuing God and we're going after him, if he were to leave and go after that one that's lost, then all of those sheep with separation anxiety would be like, oh, no, right? And they'd follow him to the lost. They would, right? So, so that's what God is calling us to. You know, as we pursue him, we pursue the lost. It's just a byproduct of it. So... So what happens is as we look to him, as we get deeper and deeper revelation of who he is, we catch his heart for the people around us, and we begin to, to love those he loves. We see them the way he sees them, and we, we value what he values. And as we, as we learn to value his people, both lost and found, that God, God then calls us to value his truth. Because how do we properly, if we're going to follow him to those lost, how do we allow those lost to see the truth and to be found in the truth if we don't first know it, if we don't first value it in our lives. So when I looked at the other occurrence of this parable, it's in Matthew 18, and um, it really brought this to light for me because Jesus is actually talking to his disciples. He's talking to the people who spent all their time with him. And funny enough, these people who spent 24-7 with Jesus end up having this big dispute over which of the 12 of them are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Because <laughs> apparently they didn't bring Jesus in on that conversation. But to, to lovingly correct them, Jesus is so good and he's so gentle, and he brings this child into the middle of them. And he points out this child and says in Matthew 18:4, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child 
is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, some versions actually say as free of pride as this little child. So there's a nice little correction from Jesus. <laughs> He's kind of calling them out. But it's within this context that we see him tell this parable to his disciples in Matthew 18, verse 12 to 14. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hill and go, off, uh, go out and search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. So Jesus is bringing to their attention, bringing the attention of the disciples to the fact that they have a responsibility now. You know, he's saying, look at this, look at this child. We need to make sure that we don't lead anyone astray and that we don't let anyone stay in their wandered state. You know, this is the heart of God, and I want you guys to get it because i got to go, and I'm going to leave you, and you have to capture my heart in order to continue this work, right? So actually, what I found when you look into this, um, this idea of the sheep that wanders away He's actually using the Greek word here, planeo, which means to be seduced, deceived, or led astray. So it's showing that it's not actually, you know, we, we can't look at, at those who have maybe strayed away and say that they're a bad person. It's not, it's not that they're a bad person. It's that someone has actually deceived them. Someone has led them astray. And the Bible tells us who that deceiver is. The devil is our deceiver. He comes to, to steal, kill, and to destroy and he wants so badly to not just keep the lost sheep in their wandering state, but he would love to be able to deceive as many sheep as possible and lead them astray. And he is so sneaky the way he, did, he does it that he even got the 12 disciples. We see there that he used that open door in order to, to catch their pride and get them to argue over something as silly as who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus had to actually expose the lie of the enemy that was causing pride in their lives. And he brought the truth before them. Because he knew, he knew that the disciples were to be used by God. He, again, he saw that purpose and potential on them. He said, you know what, I see something great in you, but in order for you to step into that, I need to bring my correction here. And so he brings truth to expose the lie of the enemy there. And likewise, he's called us to be his disciples, his, his children, his sheep to live out our lives for Christ in a way that represents his truth. And when, when we look at that word represent, it literally means to represent something. You know, for me, for me to be able to stand up here and, and present what I got out of this parable, I need to know it, right? I first need to look into it and, and get to know it so that I can present it to you guys. The same way, when, if we want to present God to other people, if we want to be Christ in us, presented to other people, then we first have to get to know him. And how do, we, how do we get to know him if we're not in his word, right? If we don't have that truth, if we don't value that, that full truth of God, because how we live is a testimony to who God is. Our lives are that testimony. So as we pursue relationship with God, we need to know his word and his full, complete word, not just the portions that sound really nice. You know, um, growing up, it was so much easier for me to read in the New Testament <laughs> because I got kind of confused by the other parts. But God actually says that the whole word is God-breathed. 
You know, it's all inspired by God. And so he wants us to know the full picture of who he is. And so that's why there is an Old Testament and a New Testament. And there's, there's the whole Bible, the whole truth. And it's so important that as we get to know him and we pursue him, we pursue him to, his, to as much entirety as we can comprehend from day to day so that as we look on him and we behold him, he transforms us into his likeness so that we can then represent that to people around us. And that way we don't become swayed by necessarily what our culture says. Because I know culture is always changing. If you look over history, we, we've swayed in a lot of different areas. Um, some good, some not so good. And culture isn't necessarily going to be something that we can base what we believe. Because if culture has changed, yet we serve a God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then how does that line up? Right? So we have to be careful that we don't just take what culture says is truth. Because, again, the enemy would love to silence portions of what God's truth is for the sake of love or for the sake of what culture says love is. Right? And so the enemy wants to plant those lies, even in, in the everyday things that we see, in order to lead people astray. So how do we withstand this pressure of culture to conform? The only way to expose the lie is to contrast it with the truth. So we need to value that full, complete truth of God. And likewise, we need to, we need to look at God's example, Jesus' example. So when he was in the, the desert being tempted by, by Satan for 40 days, I mean, he had it rough. Um, but yet every time Satan would come and try and tempt him with something, he even used scripture. See, he loves to twist the truth. That's why we need to be so familiar with it. But Jesus came back with scripture in context and then said, you know, this is what the Bible actually says. And he shut him down. So likewise, when we are coming up against the lies of the enemy, we have to know the word. We have to know the truth. Because it actually says in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, it's so important for us to know the truth, not just for our own freedom, but also if we're going to be out seeking out those lost people, if we want to bring them to full freedom, we have to serve them the full truth. It's so important that we don't withhold portions of it. It's lovely to talk about the fact that Jesus loves them, and he values them, and he notices them, and he pursues them, and that is truth. Absolutely. But... He also has obligations, just like Pastor Ray said back in the summary. She talked about privileges and obligations of this relationship that we have. It's a two-way street, right? So we have these amazing privileges. God is so good. He lavishes so much on us, and he can come so far, and then he also asks us to do our part, which is those obligations of saying, okay, God, I realize my need for you and for repentance. I notice my need to pursue you and to hold up my end of that relationship. But he also wants us to make sure that we are revealing all of the facets of who he is to those around us. Because he wants to be known completely by his children. He doesn't want to withhold any of himself. So, you know, sometimes in order... We have some very well-meaning people who have such a heart for the lost. And in their desperation, sometimes... We tend to only declare the privileges of Christianity without those obligations. 
And we, we really need both because otherwise, it's like we're almost making a sales pitch for Jesus, if you think of it that way. You know, if you've ever gone used car shopping, I had to do that back in university, and I had $2,000 to try and find a really good car that would last me. And, well, you know the kind of cars you can find for $2,000. So not very much. But you listen to these people who are selling you this car, and they're telling you all these wonderful things about it. And it almost gets to the point where you're like, well, then why are you selling it? Right? I mean, it sounds lovely. You hear all these great things about it. And and they tell you all of the benefits of this vehicle, but they withhold a portion of it. But can I just free us this morning? Because the truth will set you free. You know, God doesn't need a salesperson. He's pretty awesome. He can sell himself. He, he doesn't necessarily need someone to, to paint a certain picture of who he is. Because he is just so wonderful in and of himself, in his entirety, that he wants us to behold him. He wants us to pursue him in all areas so that we can capture that vision that he has for us and present not, not a partial gospel, but the whole gospel to those lost so that they can be truly found in Jesus. So when we, when we value the full truth of who he is, we can then represent that truth fully to those around us. And really, this is our commission You know, he said to go and make disciples of all nations. And that part of that is Kingston, Ontario, Canada. He's called us each to this place for such a time as this. And as we discover God's heart and we notice his pursuit of us and we learn how he values us and and we capture that heart that he has for us, then he is actually empowering us to live a life of humility, noticing our need for him and pursuing him wholeheartedly, and and bringing others along with us, you know, pursuing others that we can all say, let's all pursue him together, so that as we keep our eyes on his truth, we can reveal that full truth of God through our lives. Yeah. You know, I just want to pray to finish up, and, um, you know, could we sing that Reckless Love song again? That, That just so, so perfectly describes God's heart for us, I hope my prayer is that from this parable we can see the heart of God to chase after us, to come after us, and, and to realize, you know, he's got something great for our lives. You know, those, those obligations I talked about, they don't feel like obligations when you see God's heart, when you realize that we're stepping into something so great. And the reason he has those obligations on our lives is because he wants to protect us and because he wants us to be able to live in the fullness of the blessing that comes from a life surrendered to him. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.